The Beaux-Arts Photography Podcast with Alan and Natalie Brio. This podcast is going to be about a question that we get on workshops, usually during the print review or after the print review, after students learn, and that is usually you beginning students, they learn that their work is not that great according to our evaluation, and they tell us this. How come my work is not good, and how come I have to change things if art can be anything I want to do? Yes. Right. Is that how you would put it? Yes, that's exactly how I would put it. And we tell them, well, you have to change things and make it better. And then they say, well, how come I have to change things and make it better or different if art can be anything I want? Right. right? So how do we answer that? I would answer it as, as in every profession, even though you are doing art, there are elements and principles of art and design that you need to follow that there is a foundation and that there are standards just like in any profession that you need to follow. Right. No, I totally agree. Yeah. I mean, I would answer it the same way. You know, first of all, art is a profession, even though obviously they don't believe it is. But also what I would say is that if we make a comparison with music, a musician can play any song they want in any style they want, you know, they can play rap or they can play a Beethoven symphony or they can play rock and roll or they can play blues or they can play jazz or, you know, you name it, right? They can even play bluegrass if they want, you know. I like bluegrass. <laughs> but they still have to play in tune. Yes. They can't just play off tune and they can't make quacks, they can't miss the notes, you know. They have to know which keys to press if they play the trombone and they have to know which string to pull if they play the guitar and what key to press if they play piano and so on. Right. right. They have to know how to play. Right. right. You know. And those, those same exact elements and principles of art are also applied to music. They have right. to say they have to have a rhythm. Yeah, you so, know. you know, there is obviously harmony. Right. It has to be harmonious. You know, you right. can't have, a, you know, a song that just doesn't have a harmony to it. You have to have a rhythm. You have to have a beat. You probably have to have a metronome, you know, the thing that does click, 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 so that you follow the beat consistently from the start of the song to the end. You don't change the beat halfway through, right? I mean, I'm not a musician, but I can tell a few of these principles. And it's exactly the same in, in photography. They are principles of art. You know? right. And in photography, those principles apply to color harmony, they apply to contrast harmony. Yes. You can't have a, a place that has a type of contrast next to a place that has a completely different type of contrast. Uh, same with harmony, you know, color. Uh, you have to have uh, principles of composition, you know, principles of arrangement of the elements, you know, uh, on and on and on. Right. And that's what we have to learn. And usually when people say, well, why is it that I have to change things if I can be doing any art that I want? And they, what they're really saying is, I don't have to learn anything. Art is anything I want, so screw you. Well, right. Fine. You know, fine. I mean, we're not here to force you to study, but um, unfortunately, yeah. you have to study to get better. Right. And you have to practice. And what we said in the previous podcast, that we noticed that unsuccessful musicians were usually people that did not like to practice. Well, what are we going to have here? Unsuccessful photographers. Right. Because if they don't want to practice photography any more than the unsuccessful musician wants to practice music, then they are not going to be successful. And study it. And we study talked it, about yeah. studying yeah. it, that that's just as important. Yeah. Yes. 
So how do we teach that? Well, obviously, workshops you know, are a way to learn it. Usually, uh, the very first workshop that a participant takes is about them learning what their prints are like, what is right and what is wrong with them, and usually there's more wrong than right, and sometimes there isn't a whole lot that's right, you know. But that's our job to basically evaluate their work and tell them exactly where they stand. And then the second step for them is to decide whether they want to continue studying or stay with the belief that art is whatever they want, no matter how bad it might be. You know? Right, in practice. Yeah. I mean, if, if we were teaching music and a musician came to us and we said, well, present your music, right? Which we would do by having them record something or play live, right? And if they played something and it was completely off tune, you know, it's obvious that they haven't practiced enough, they haven't uh, learned their instrument very well, they're not very good at music. Right, because even of, fingering, I mean, there's all sorts right. of things. And we told them, uh, well, you need to practice and you need to study, uh, you know, your, your, your instrument more. And they said, oh, screw it, music is whatever they want. I want. You know, it says to say they wouldn't be very successful as musicians. Right. right. They might impress their family because their family may be even worse than they are. And that's usually why families are impressed. You know? If you know nothing about music and somebody can play you know, Ode to Elise <laughs> you know, with one finger very slowly on the piano missing one or two notes, they're like, wow, that's so much better than me because I don't even know where to begin. Right. right. Well, sure, you know. But that does not mean that they are good for Carnegie Hall, right? <laughs> they are still a distance, right? And I think, to me, that's a really important aspect of beginners, that they are better than their family members, and that's what they look at. Everybody that I showed it to was impressed. Well, who was it? Well, I showed it to my friends, my relatives, my neighbors, you know. Right. My co-workers. My co-workers, you know, on and on. And, and that impresses them, makes them feel that, you know, they are better than they are. But they never went uh, to the equivalent of Carnegie Hall in photography. That is, they never went to a museum of art, to a curator, and said, what do you think of that? Because the curator would have looked at it and said, don't waste my freaking time. I mean, you're just a rank beginner. You may have impressed your friends, family, co-workers, and relatives, but, you know, I don't care. <laughs> this is garbage, you know. <laughs> this is drivel. <laughs> you're wasting my time. That. How did they even let, let you in my office? I mean, how the heck did I need to fire my secretary? Right. <laughs> you know. You shouldn't have been able to register for this class. <laughs> yeah. Or you should not have access to me. Right. right. You know? <laughs> And so that explains why they're so shocked when we look at their work and they're like, well, you know, you're just a beginner, you know, and you have all the characteristics of a beginner. They're like, but how do you know, right? I mean, we had one guy tell us that. How do you know that I do nothing to my followers? Right? Yes. <laughs> he was shocked. Yes. That reminds me of a student, right? I had a painting assignment, and he didn't mix the colors appropriately, uh -huh. you know, because I had requirements for color mixing. And the student looked at me and said, how do you know what colors I use to mix this color? Right. Like I didn't know. Yeah. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and when I told how'd him, you dare? Yeah, yeah, I mean, how, how, I mean, how can you tell yeah. what colors right. I use yeah. to mix this one yeah. color over right. here? Yeah. I said, that color is wrong, and because you use this color and this color, as opposed to this one and this one, which you were required to use, right. yeah. you know. But uh, the first one is, how do you know? Yeah. 
suspicion, you know. It's art, so nobody can tell what I've done. I don't even remember myself, you know. I right. probably did not, you know. Yeah, how do you know? Right? How, yeah. And how do you dare? You know, tell me how to make my art. My art is the prerogative of me and me only. Only me can, yes. you know, yeah. Yeah. And that's sort of what we, under, we get so on, on workshops where they look at me like, how do you dare criticize my work? You know, I mean, I paid you money and, uh, you know, there's this assumption that we're just going to tell them how great they are, you know. But we're not paid to blow sunshine over their butt, you know. We are paid to tell teach. them the truth. And, well, to yeah. teach, but to tell them the truth. Right. You know? And uh, on a critic, uh, the teaching is really telling them the truth, whatever it is. If it's great... So be it, you know. I mean, you know, if a, if a photographer came to my workshop, it has never happened so far, right? And we had fantastic work from day one, right? It'd be the same as a musician that goes and plays at the Carnegie Hall level on a beginning musical workshop, right? Right. You've got to tell him, I've got nothing to teach you. I mean, we're done, you know. We can teach you how to express a vision in a different way. We can help you further your work, maybe work on projects as opposed to single images, but as far as processing, as far as contrast, as far as color harmonies, composition, rules, you know, the basics, you know, the principles, you know everything. Right. right? Now you need to develop your personal right. style. Yeah. That doesn't mean we're done. Exactly. There is more. Yes. And you may want to learn marketing if you want to sell it and... Because the same thing applies in regards to developing a personal style. There are principles in order to market your work. There are principles in order to talk to an audience. There are principles. Right. You don't talk to the audience for your, let's say, fine art photography the same way you would talk to an audience that's interested in learning how to invest in the stock market. Right. There's a different type of relationship. Right. You know? I mean, trust is still important, but trust isn't the only thing. You know, we are not going to address them the same way. Right. And there's um, always something that needs to be learned. When I was teaching drawing, still life drawing, they had to do their drawings with shading. And I remember I had a student that was really good at drawing and shading. And so I went to look at his work, and I, we had a discussion. And I basically said, well, you know, why aren't you doing you know, what everyone is doing. And he said, I already know all of that. And I said, ah, but what you don't know is how to shade by using stippling and hatching and cross-hatching. So either shading with lines or shading with dots. Mm -hmm. And so because he was ahead of the rest of the class, I still had to be able to challenge him and to teach him something totally different that was above Right. the other ones but there was still something to be learned and I had to keep him engaged mm. and and he loved it and mm. he excelled mm. and he worked harder than mm. ever on his drawings yeah. because he was the other stuff was just too easy for yeah, him yeah well you had challenged him and pointed to something that he did not know that right. he hadn't tried and it's all of that is because art is a journey not a destination you know and, and a lot of people are like you know when am I going to be good well I mean you know, you're good, right? Well done, you know, move on, right? What Michael Reichman said, you know, this is not about good enough. Right. This is about excellence. You want to keep working at it. You know, there is no end point. Right? No, That I think not. is the important thing without, you know. I think if you build a house, in a sense, there is an end point. You know, when the house is built and it's done, right? But, uh, you know, for the owner of the house, that might be the end of the process. But for the architect... What matters is the next house, right? The architect is already thinking, what is the next house? If the architect is an artist, they are trying to go further than the one before. Right. right. You know, 
not always a good thing, you know. I guess with Frank Lloyd Wright, he had roofs that leaked more and more water, you know. <laughs> you know going farther and farther and farther was a good thing, but then the roofs got flatter and flatter and they were more and more leaky, you know. But, you know, you live with the good and the bad. You live with the consequences. You know, some artists, as they continue progressing, their work becomes less popular. You yes. Know? Um, I think it was Cole Weston said, I don't want a bigger audience, I want a deeper audience, an audience that can understand my work at a deeper level. And his audience shrank, you know. But he, that's what he wanted. Another person would be depressed at that and say, I want a wider audience, you know. So we're looking at individual goals, you know, and we have to deal with the consequences, you know. Some students tell me, my audience is not very big, and I tell them, I say, do you want a big one? They say, no. And so then I tell them, well, you're perfectly fine, right? You know, you have the audience that you want. They say, but I thought that I would be successful if I have a large audience. Well, I mean, if success is having a large audience, then you're, you're unsuccessful. Right. But if success is having the audience that you have, then you're successful. I mean, which one do you want, right? Right. So art is also something in which you define your own terms of success, right? Some people come to us and say, you know, if I sell my work, then I'll be really successful. And I'm like, well, do you need the money? They're like, no, I don't. But I really want to sell my work because that's how I think I'll be successful. And I'm like, okay, that will be financial success, right. but not artistic success. But not validation. Yeah, you don't need to exactly. sell your work. Some of them think that they can only be validated as artists if they sell their work. Yes. And yes. I tell them, I say, well, that's financial validation or marketing skills validation. That is, if people buy your work here, uh, you know, a lot of them, uh, that means that you have a good marketing technique, you know, you have a good marketing style. But um, that doesn't mean that you're a good artist because you, pretty bad work can sell pretty well. Oh, <laughs> yes. You know? Yeah. So basically, in order to learn the principles of art, you can do it a number of ways. The first way, as we mentioned before, is to attend a workshop and we'll review your work. If you bring prints, you know, we don't review your laptop screen. Why? Because that's not the final product. The final product, the way we teach it, is uh, a work of art that is printed. You know, the Louvre doesn't have paintings on laptops <laughs> or LCD screen. It has paintings on canvas hung on the walls. And a art gallery, in the way we look at it, doesn't have uh, LCD screens or OLED displays on the walls. It has uh, photographs printed and displayed on the walls, right? And so that's why we consider the final product. Whether you sell your work or not is irrelevant to us, because if you sell it, you obviously have to sell a print, and if you show it in an art show, or whether it's for sale or not, it will also have to be a print. So whether you sell it or not does not mean that you don't have to have a print. Everybody that comes to our workshops has prints. Right. And if you have prints, we'll review your work. If you don't have prints, uh, you'll listen to other people's print review, right? But what you'll learn is where you are at in the artistic learning process, right? And which of the principles of art you have to learn in order to become a better artist. And that regardless of what you do with your photographs. With the COVID, that as far as we are concerned, we only look at landscape photographs, you know. And not to say that animal photography or product photography or people photography is not art. It is. But we only teach landscape photography. Right, it's not our specialty. It's not our specialty. So we'll review your work, and then, based on what we say, you'll have the choice of how to study the rest. And the way we teach it is other workshops. You know, each of them has a different focus. And also the mastery workshops on USB or DVD, which right now 
number 11, right? There's 11 different mastery workshops on USB. Yes, and they all build on each other. Right, they all focus on a specific aspect of art, and there's no duplication of knowledge from one mastery to the other. They're all catering to a very specific aspect of art. And uh, depending on what you need to learn, you know, you can select among these 11 ones. Right. And so, for example, if uh, you want to learn about color harmony, I have a mastery workshop called the Personal Style Mastery, which describes all of the different color harmonies. Yes. I think I have eight or ten different color harmonies. It also goes in depth about color theory. If you want to learn how to compose, I have the composition mastery and the advanced composition mastery. The artistic composition, the artistic composition mastery, mastery, which yeah. is different from the traditional rules right. of composition. Yeah. So both um, of them are exactly. really good. If you want to learn how to process, I have the adjustment layers mastery, which follows the adjustment layers principle. And if you want to work only Lightroom, I have the Lightroom Mastery, which follows only the technique that I use in Lightroom. And if you want to study color and color processing, you know, with HSL and selective color, which are the most effective ways of controlling color in Lightroom and Photoshop, then I have the HSL and selective color mastery workshop on USB, which teaches you all of my workflow in that respect. And then finally, if you want to learn how to market your photographs, sell them, we have the marketing and the advanced marketing mastery workshop on USB, which teaches you everything you need to know to market your work and to be a good salesperson. Right. So we have the entire program. And how to right? find an audience. How to also. find an audience? That would be in the mastering marketing yes. uh, DVD. Because marketing and audience go hand in hand. If you're never going to show your work to anyone except your friends, family, and coworkers, you really, really don't need to understand the concept of audience. <laughs> you know, yeah. It's a waste of your time. But if you start to show it beyond your circle of friends and uh, you know, co-workers. the people that you hang out with on a daily basis, then yes, you need to understand the concept of audience because like we said, you don't relate to an artistic audience the same way you relate to an audience that would be interested in... Uh, you know, pumpkin carving for Halloween, or how to make brioche, right? Or how to invest your your, your money, you know, like we said before. Right. Very different audiences have a very different way of relating to, you know. Exactly. You have to relate to them from an artistic standpoint. And uh, interestingly enough, that artistic standpoint takes into account the fact that you have studied the principles of art, and they have not. And now you can tell them, no, this is not just whatever. I know what I'm doing. The reason why this is so beautiful and you like it so much is because I know art. I have studied art. I've made it my profession. And you better know what art is. You can't just say that because they're going to say, what is art? They're going to put you to the the test. (laughs) That you didn't just pick these colors randomly, that there is actually a color harmony that you like and that you deliberately chose or that you deliberately created and and so on. You need to be able to talk about your work. It's not just, you can't just tell people, well, you know, I like your colors. Well, I did whatever. Mm -hmm. It's not going to do very well. No, no. Well, they'll tell you, oh, okay, and they'll move on and they'll never buy anything. They're not necessarily going to look at you and say, "Uh uh-huh, I don't think so, right? They're not going to challenge you. People are not rude, right? right? I'm not saying that it's true everywhere, but in this country it's definitely true. People are not rude. They're going to look at you and say, okay, you know, whatever, you know. But then they think, well, if it's whatever, I can go home and do it myself. Right. It has no value. Right. But I personally wouldn't feel proud of something if I just kept telling everybody I just did whatever.
Mm -hmm. No. I mean, no. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> well, know, I wouldn't I, feel I, proud either. <laughs> and I'm, you know, I never ask them because I think it's pretty difficult to get a straight answer. But I don't think they feel very proud either. Yeah. I mean, do you think that somebody that comes to a workshop, shows their work, and you say, well, tell me more about what you've done, and they say, well, I've done whatever. I just moved the sliders until I got something I like. Do you think they're really proud? I wouldn't think no. so. And they yeah. probably don't have very high self-confidence either. Right. Their skills, right? right. It's hard to have confidence in your skills if you've never really worked on those skills. Right. You know? Okay. So it brings us to an interesting aspect uh, of all of that, and that is... Um, Going back to if art can be anything I want, then why do I have to follow rules, right? Right. You know, why do I have to learn rules in terms of composition, for example? But I suppose in the same way, it can be in terms of color harmony because color right. harmonies can be seen as a rule. And we have to explain to all of our students that first, you can break the rules, you know, right. but you first have to learn the rules. You do. And then second, not only can you break the rules, but you can also create your own rules. Yes. But you have to know what you started with. Right. You can't break a rule that you ignore. And you have to be able to explain it as well. You have to be able to explain it as well. If you just yeah. say, well, you know, I, I, there is no rule. Oh, okay. <laughs> put your shirt back on. <laughs> yeah, put your, <laughs> you know, put your shirt There's back on. There's just one rule. <laughs> right, this is not a pizza advertising. Right? This is not uh, Little Caesars advertising. I love that yeah. commercial. This is art. And in art, uh, you know, first of all, there's more than one rule. And yes, you can do art with your shirt off if you want. We don't care, you know. But uh, definitely you have to learn the rules before you can break the rules. And this doesn't have to take very long. You don't have to spend 10 years practicing or using rules you don't like. But you have to spend some time trying rules and finding out whether you like some or not. Right. Because there's a tendency among people that say, I want to follow no rules, to dismiss all the rules, even those that can actually be harmful to their work. Yes. And we have to point out, well, you know, once we know what they want to do, they tell us, well, I want to do that. And we're like, well, you know, if you follow that rule, that would help a lot. And they're like, oh, well, it's a rule. Well, it may be a rule, but it's going to be helpful. You know? Right. And, and it's going to make your work and better. And it's going to make your work better, and which is the whole And take you to idea. the next level. Exactly. Yes. And they find out that rules can be their best friends, you know. Yes. And so you can't just throw everything out of the window uh, for no reason, you know. No. So that's why it points to... And the thing of it is, is that, you know, the masters followed these same rules, they followed the elements and principles of design way back when. They were Well, I think those. among beginning students, we find the same characteristics, and we went over that in a previous podcast. But one of these characteristics, which is really important here, is suspicion. They're suspicious of people that know they're suspicious of the master. And so if you say, well, you know, when you compose, why don't you follow the rules of composition? They're like, I follow no rules. I do what I want. Okay, fine. But rules can be your best friends. I mean, there are rules that I just love. When I was doing the ferns, uh, photographs, uh, you know, which we can see from here, you know, at the oasis, literally within sight of where we're sitting right now, I have two rules that I used over and over and over again. And without these two, I don't know what I would have done. And one of them was the diagonal rule, or diagonally across the image, putting the fern diagonally across the image. Right. And the other one was the radial composition rules, because these ferns radiate. Right. They are radial ferns, literally, right. you know. Yeah, the palms. Right, the palms, yeah. Right. And you can see the photos on my website, you know, of that, of the palms. What would I do without those two rules? You know, well, you could break them. Yeah, how? I'm not going to change the shape of the palm. Right. You know, right. I mean, I can do that in Photoshop, but right now, 
account, right. you know, why not use these rules and make the best out of it and create a pleasing image? Oh, that's what everybody does. Right. So what? Everybody might do it, but I have not done it yet. Right. And what matters is me. Art is about us. Right. So, yes, I'm following rules that millions of people have followed before. Yes, I'm doing something that probably other people have done before, but I have not done it. Right. And we forget that. Yes. You know, it's about you. Do it. And right. you're not going to do it the exact same way as somebody else. You know, look at Antelope Canyon. How many people have photographed Antelope Canyon? Well, we know how many because we took a lot of them there. Yes, we did. <laughs> <laughs> Probably the majority of the right. photographers that photographed Antelope Canyon were taken there by us. Oh, right? yeah. We are part of the problem. Yes, we are. We're guilty as charged. Yeah. But the fact is that that doesn't mean that the next time we go to Antelope Canyon, we can't do a new photo of Antelope Canyon oh, that nobody Antelope. has ever taken. Exactly. Because of the complexity. It is. It yeah. is. Every time I go, I see new colors and new shapes and forms and lines that I had never seen before because it changes every hour of the day, every season of the year. It's just a magical place. Yeah, the complexity is incredible. It is. And the same with the ferns, you know. There is a lot of these ferns, no two ferns are created the same. If you painted Antelope Canyon yeah. or even photographed it, it's just endless. Yeah. The compositions, yeah. everything. It's yeah. just endless material. Yeah. So I think one of the principles of art is creativity. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's the principle that we forget, you know, in I will follow no rules. Creativity is not about following no rules. Creativity is about using rules in a creative way. Exactly. So, in a sense, by this obsession with rules are for others, not for me, I'm an artist, they're also missing one of the central points of being an artist, which is be creative, be inventive. You know, inventiveness is also a very important principle. Oh, yes. Artists invent. They're inventors. They do. You know. And a lot of painters, they when they paint, if they don't like the lighting conditions that they're painting in, then they're going to invent the light, whether it's backlight or reflected light or cloudy sky. If they don't like the light in the landscape that's in front of them while they're painting, then they're going to paint in their own light. But they have an understanding of light. They have an understanding of shadows and how these change, because colors do change throughout the day. They have all of this knowledge, so they can create whatever image they want, even if the lighting conditions are not what they want, because they have an understanding of how all of these relate to each other. Right, yeah. So that's where you can be creative. That's where your creativity comes in, where, you know... You're like, oh, well, I can, I can just, you know, put in this type of light, paint in this type of light myself. And I know that if I add a little bit of magenta to this to warm up the colors mm. or if I mm. add a little bit of blue to this mm. to cool down the right. colors. And that's what's exciting and what's creative. Right. Like I tell them uh, the difference between shooting sunset 10 minutes before sunset and shooting sunset as the sun is dipping behind or below the horizon is 20 magenta. Right. And they're like, 20 magenta, how do you know that? Well, first of all, you know, that's what I do for a living. And second, try it. <laughs> you know, I mean, you don't yeah. have to believe me, you know, try it. Add 20 magenta to a sunset photo taken 20 minutes or 15 minutes before sunset or 10 minutes before sunset and see how that compares to a photo taken just at sunset. Right. It's the same. Our eyes see the difference, but um, 
a creative photographer will know that they really don't have to be there at the very exact minute, mm -hmm. but eventually, you know, they can do it uh, in post-processing. You know, it's like moonlight, you know, moonlight photography, you know, not star photography, but photographs taken with moonlight, let's say, of a tree, or, as opposed to sunlight, they're exactly the same, right. except that moonlight is yellow. So if you take out yellow, if you do it black and white, then obviously there's not going to be any difference. But if you do it uh, with uh, color and you take out yellow, you know, you add blue, you don't get to the same color balance. And uh, the only difference is going to be that the photograph won't be darker. And the shadows may actually be more blocked because there is less light, less ambient light, so there's less light filling the shadows. But if you make the black and white photograph or the color photograph daytime and nighttime as contrasty, that is, you take out detail in the shadows in the daylight, daytime photograph, you won't get to the exact same photograph. You, you won't be able to tell the difference. Right. Because the angular diameter of the moon is the exact same di angular diameter as the sun. It's exactly the same. That is, the moon is smaller than the sun, but the moon is closer to the earth than the sun. And somehow, by some strange twist of fate that people can explain any which way they want, whether it is uh, by physical explanation or religious explanation or you know, the aliens were involved or whatever. It turns out that the diameter of the moon, if we measure it from Earth, is the exact same diameter as the diameter of the sun. Mm -hmm. Now, you've got to take my word for it, because if you try to measure the diameter of the sun, <laughs> you will go blind, and I will not take responsibility yeah. for it. So suspicion in this situation is not recommended. <laughs> you know, do a Google search for angular diameter of the sun, you know, things like that. You know, The moon you can safely measure by yourself. <laughs> I can only imagine somebody taking a ruler and holding it at arm length and measuring the moon and then doing the same with the sun and then complaining that their retina was burned. There was a hole in their retina. Well, you don't do it, you know. Like they say in the Discovery Channel, you know, uh, the shows, you know, about uh, the inventors, you know, that they say, don't try this at home. Right. right. <laughs> yeah, don't do it. Don't try it at home. So all of this to say that art is about invention, that one of the principles of art is invention. It's not the only one, there's several of them, there's many of them, but one of them is invention, being inventive, being an inventor, creating something that has never been created. Right. That's what art is in some ways, you know, in some respects. And also surprising, surprising. the viewer, yes. the audience. Yes. I think that's a very good point. You know, yes. I'm, I'm writing this down as you I are? talk. Well, oh. I'm trying. You know, it's very difficult okay. to record and uh, write at the same time, but surprise is one of them. Yeah. Yes. Surprising the viewer or the audience. So how does that work? How that works is showing them visually something that they have never seen before. Right. It can be an exaggeration of something. It could be maybe a color harmony of something. They had never thought of a, using a color harmony maybe with this subject or whatever. Um, you know, that's where the rules come in, because you can use those rules to surprise. In new ways. Yeah. In new ways, in creative ways right. or innovative ways, like you were saying, being inventive, creative, to surprise the audience, to surprise the viewer. And that's when the rules can be very helpful. Right. But it's also very helpful and very useful to know these principles, because when we have a print review and the student says, well, like art could be anything I want, so why can't it be this, right? We can say, well, your work is not surprising. Right. 
And we say, well, why does it matter? I say, well, it matters because surprise is a principle of art. Mm-hmm. So you're not using that principle. Right. You know, we can say your work is not marketable. We can say your work is going to attract an audience of wannabes. You know, I mean, if that's what you want, you know, wannabes, hey, cool. But if you want an audience of people that are masters of photography, then I think they're going to laugh at it. They're going to be like, don't waste my time. You know, I was able to do that when I was 10, you know. So these principles actually allow a sort of ranking of somebody's work. Yeah. According to facts, right? Yes. And not just according to impressions or emotions, you know. Yeah. Ranking according to facts, right? But it doesn't necessarily always have to be facts because uh, I was doing an assignment about uh, collaging and one of my students had used um, like wallpaper because you know I get all of these things from decorators and stuff to recycle into art projects. So she had uh, used some wallpaper and then added some watercolors and had made like a, a waterfall or something on top. So she had layered it on top of, painted on top of the wallpaper. But it was so expressive and so surprising. I had never seen anything like it. It was just an expressive piece. It was... So why wasn't it fact? It was emotion? Is what you're saying? Well, yeah. I don't know if I would describe it as fact because it was just very expressive. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So expression... You know, and it was... So all... one of the principles of art is personal expression. And the expression was only... It was uh, through the use, in her instance, of color, texture, and watercolor. You know, just, you know, splattering of watercolor. I mean, personal expression is not a factor of science. Yes. The that's... last thing we want on somebody that's going to analyze... Uh, let's say the virus, you know, since we're on that subject right now, is personal expression. We don't want them to be creative. We want them to be factual. We want them to report what they find. Right. Interpret it, yeah, insofar as describing what it is. Right. But we certainly don't want them to be using uh, personal expression. But then you mentioned several other principles, you know, texture, also color, which we talked about before, color palette, you know. Yes. But also fracture. Fracture is the imprint of the artist's hand. In painting, it's the brush strokes. In photography, it can be the contrast, can be the use of color, can be the use of texture, you know, whatever it is that the artist uses, you know. So there's a lot of things, you know. If I asked uh, a beginner, you know, whose use of color is very uh, crude, what is their color palette, they they can't answer. It's whatever colors I want. Well, yeah... (laughs) Okay, but go beyond that, we can't, because in a sense, this kind of answer is, is a defiant answer. It's, it's thrown in your face, basically, with the attempt of telling you to just shut up and don't push any further, you know. Right, but there has to be some logic to the right. color. Color logic, right. You know, there, there has to be something there. If it's not a color harmony, there still has to be, it has to be logical in some mm-hmm. way, uh, regardless. It doesn't matter. Yeah, color palette and color harmony are not exactly the same. They right? are not. But color palette is the colors that an artist likes. Yes, or and chooses. I, I might like, let's say, 10 different colors, very specific. Uh, you know, for example, I don't like cyan, but I like turquoise, which is a subtle difference. 
You know, yes. a lot of people are like cyan, turquoise isn't turquoise cyan. Well, turquoise can be cyan, but cyan can be turquoise. I yeah. love green right. turquoise. And, and I think that when I say turquoise, I really mean this sort of blue green. But, yes. you know, I like That's turquoise, I like orange, uh, I don't like cyan. Now, let's just take these colors. Would I put turquoise, green, and orange in the same photo? No, that's too much, you know. It doesn't work that way. So uh, a color harmony is not all the colors that I like. No, it is not. You know, it's the colors that I like together. Right. You know? That's important. And also balance. You have to balance those colors out. You can't have two colors fighting or they can't be at the same exact saturation that they're fighting each other for the audience to look at. You know, like your, like you said, your turquoise color is saying, look at me, look at me, and then the orange over here is saying, look at me, look at me. That's where pop art came into being, where you were using colors that were at the same exact saturation so that when they were painted right next to each other, the colors actually looked like they were visually mm. moving or popping. Mm. No. And that's how pop art came into being. I, I think that an interesting aspect or of... Or uh, art. Exactly. And I think that a very interesting aspect of uh, principles of art are the questions that the artist asks. Because uh, the questions inform the knowledge of the artist. Yesterday when you showed my work, you know, we're still teaching the short workshop. Now we are done with it. We have reached the last day. And yesterday we did uh, the print presentation of my work. And uh, as you showed a photo from Cedar Mesa that shows just a Mesa with a sort of pinkish, uh, you know, color palette. Yes, know? almost like a salmon color right. or something, yeah. One of the students asked, uh, if I pick this one among many other Many other colors? Yeah. If, you know, how, why I pick this particular pink look of the image versus, you know, other possible colors, he did not ask why I pick that color palette. Right. I don't think he even knows what a color palette is. I don't think that concept is even part of his knowledge. Right. You know? uh, and if it is, then he does not consider a photo that is monochromatic, meaning one color, which this one is, having, as having a color palette. It's monochromatic, so the, the color palette is monochromatic. No, monochromatic is a color arrangement. Yes. It's a color harmony. Right. The color palette of that photo has little to do with the color harmony of that photo. Right. You see? It's monochromatic, that's a color harmony, that's the first one. Monochromatic color harmony, that's the first one. Uh, color harmonies are based on the number of colors. So one color is a color, the first color harmony, two colors is the same color harmony, three color is triadic, you know, and so on and so forth. But the color palette of that, color, of that photograph has nothing to do with the color harmony. The color palette are a range of pinks. Yes. We never ask what range of pinks. Because if you had to look carefully, there is no dark pinks. Right. right. There is right. also no very bright pinks. So it's a very medium range color harmony. In the mid-tones. Yeah, in the mid-tones. Mid right in the mid-tones. Mm. It's all in the mid-tones of the color palette, you know. Right. It never even crossed his mind. I, I think he's probably, unless we see him again, or he listens to his podcast, he'll never know. Right. right. You know. Right. But you didn't pick, like, whatever color. Well, I did not want a dark photo and I did not want a light photo. That's how right. I picked these colors. I wanted a medium, you know, range, medium tonality photograph. Right. Because I did not want the photograph to say this is night, but I also did not want to say the, to, the photograph to say this is bright, full daytime. Right. You I wanted went. the photograph to say this is the transition between day and night. And I thought that the best way to do that 
was to create this mid-range tarlatone, um, which most people don't know how to do unless they studied, unless they practice, unless they understand the principles of art. Because if you click on auto, which is the favorite activity of most uh, beginning photographers, you know, they let the software decide, the auto is going to create a true black and a true white. Oh, yes. That's designed for that. The engineers, you know, uh, the Adobe engineers, if you use Adobe software, have uh, set the auto... Uh, adjustments to create a true black and a true white. The question is where, and the software is refined in the sense of finding the best place possible. And and here it's going to create a, a true black in the shadows and a true highlight probably in the sun. And and then we'll have a very chalky photograph. Um, and I never considered that option at all. There are never going to be a, a true black and a true white in that photograph. But that being said, it could have been dark, it could have been medium range densities like I did, or it could be light. Right. You know. But it was never going to have a true black and a true white. It could have had a true black and no true white. It could have had a true white and, and no true black. Or it could have had no true black, no true white, which is what I did. In general, in my work, I have no true black, I have no true white. You know, Just because I don't see the point, I can get very close to it or I can get very far to it. You right. know? Um, most people, when you say black and white, when you say true black, true white, they're like, define that. What do you mean? Well, yeah, exactly. You don't have a clue, you know. And you're here to learn and that's perfectly fine. We explain it to them. But it also shows that even though they want to follow no rule, well, <laughs> they still have to know one rule, right? right. <laughs> but they have to have a true black and a true white in their mind, at right. least an understanding of what it is. Right. But I also think that in terms of color, I don't think they have an understanding of color that, you know, you can have a color and you can have a range of mid-tones in a color, like you could have the mid-tones in grays. Mm -hmm. I don't think that they bring that knowledge into color, like mid-tones of grays into, that they could have the mid-tones of one color. I'm not sure that they... Oh, they I, would, I mean, I think you're completely right. I would go beyond that, because I have no doubts as to the level of their ignorance, which is ignorance is just that, you don't know anything. When people say blue... They really don't think of many other blues except the one they have in mind. Yeah. Blue is not a range of color for most people. It's a tone. It's blue. Well, which blue? Say, what do you mean? <laughs> and you have to say, well, it could be light blue, dark blue. Say, oh, okay. And then we have to think where the color they have in mind fits in. Right. Which is usually middle of the way. If you look at car colors, which is a very interesting subject, most car colors are middle of the way. They are not very dark. They are not very light. Now, there are exceptions, you know, like everything, but most car colors are about mid-range, you know. And the reason for that is because they are more pleasing. Right. L let me ask you this question, right? Because we can put that to the test. You know, the age of suspicion demands that we test everything. So let's test it. When was the last time that you saw a pastel car color? I can't remember. Yeah, you can't remember because you probably <laughs> never saw one. Right? That's probably why. Yes. Even among extremely fancy cars, you know, what people call exotics, it's very rare. Yeah. And let me ask you the second question. When was the last time that you saw a very dark car color, that is, a, a color that was so dark that the saturation of the paint was problematic? Haven't seen that either. Yeah. And when you did, because those actually exist, more than... More, uh, what would you say, black? Well, uh, black and white are not really levels of saturation. They are colors that have only one dimension, which is just luminosity, right? Yeah. But if we don't go there, you know, and we just look at dark tones. Like midnight right? blue novas right. from the 1970s. What you will notice immediately <laughs> when you see these very dark colors is that they have gold flecks in them. 
and they have flakes in a very small amount or in a very large amount. I mean, if you go to a painter that did hot rods, you know, from the 70s, you have huge gold flakes. But if you go to a more refined person that's more interested in painting Rolls Royce and so on, you'll see that they have very small gold flakes. But they have gold flakes. And the reason for that is to bring some luminosity to the pen. Because dark car colors are not very popular. But if they have these flakes, then... You know. Even uh, I've seen a dark red Bentley, and mm-hmm. it had the flakes, yeah. just to tone yeah. it down a little right. bit. But you'll never see the very bottom of the range. You know. Now, all the colors are available. If you go and you buy a luxury car, you can have any color you want. And if they don't have it in their color specifier, they'll mix it up for you. And still, people don't do it. Because eventually, there's a preference, I think it's in the human mind, for mid-range colors, yeah. you know, mid-tonality colors. So when people say, oh, I really like blue or I really like light, what they think is something around mid-range. Right, I agree. You know, they don't have this pastel red in mind. No, you know? or this very dark. Right. Yeah. And that just shows the limitations of their creativity, you know, and, and also their knowledge of art, which to me totally dismantles uh, the approach of people that say, screw the rules, you know, there are no rules, I don't care about rules. They're applying a rule to themselves without knowing it. Yeah. Ignorance of the rules very often makes the person follow a rule without knowing it. But they follow it blindly and they usually follow the wrong rule. You know, like the rule that most people like mid-range colors. Middle gray tones, you know, which is middle gray blue, middle gray red, you know, right. without knowing it. You look at their prints and a lot of their colors are in that range. They don't have these very bright and very dark colors. You know? right. and, and they're like, I don't buy in any room, I don't follow any room, but they're following one of them. You know? So really learning the principles of art is just like learning the principles of music. That's the key to enter the world of professional art, the world of mastery, the world of knowing what the heck they are doing. <laughs> I mean, we had to do it, right? right? We did not uh, right. learn by accident, right? Yes. And uh, they have to do it. And whether they do it or not, that's a personal decision, but uh, there's just no way around it. If not now, then later, you know. Right. right? I agree. And if they don't do it, then uh, 10 years from now, we might see them again and they'll tell us that they are no further than they were t- 10 years ago. Because how can you progress without that? You can't. Yeah. There's no way. How can a musician get better without practice? Right. They eventually quit. Right. Or they're at the same level that they were. And that's basically what we learned from meeting these musicians that went to photography, that they just never went past a certain stage in music. And what's right. interesting with photography is that the same thing happened. You know, I have two particular students in mind. Both of them never went past a certain stage in photography. Right. They got to a point and then they... You know, I don't know if they quit or if they stagnated, you know. Right. Uh, sometimes people don't quit. They just keep doing the same thing forever. And then know. sometimes they digress. Well, you know, if you don't go up, you go down. So I think right. they probably regress. But, you know, at they least regress. they did not go past a certain stage. And I wonder if it's not for the same reason. They encountered the same problem with photography. They had to practice. They had to work hard at it. They had to study. And they just got fed up with it. You know? It wasn't for them, right? <laughs> Like people say, it's the story of my life. Oh, they just got discouraged. They got discouraged, they got tired, they moved on to something else. I think it can be discouraging if you do not know how to resolve some Mm -hmm. of these problems. What if you give Um, up? You you, you encounter, and we know that giving up usually happens just before a breakthrough. Absolutely. I mean, we've seen it over and over again. If you just try one more time, right? Yeah, if you just. If you had waited just a little bit longer. Yeah, if you had just tried one yeah. more time. We have a student that quit photography because he couldn't quite sell his work. It wasn't very successful, and he went to do cycling. 
and weight loss. You wanted to lose weight and do cycling and, uh, you know, not to say that being healthy is not important, it is, but it's something that he did, you know, so he quit photography and he started doing cycling, you know. And right. I mean, obviously, they have to find another hobby, right? Because right. that's the reason why photography comes in, is a hobby, you know. But it's unfortunate because, oh, yeah, sure, it's a hobby, but, you know, it's a hobby that's usually something that they love that they wanted to do when they were young, that they got away from uh, because life uh, got in the way and they had to get a job and they had to have a career and a family and buy a house and all of that. And then when they have time and money, they can go back to it. Right. And to see that happen and then give up when they could actually do it uh, until, uh, you know, forever, right, uh, is a little sad, right? Yeah. Because that's is. their dream, you know. Yeah. And, and if the dream is stopped because uh, you don't want to b- learn you know, to focus on the subject of this podcast, the principles of photography is pretty silly because they are not difficult to learn, right? No, they're not. And very often it's suspicion that stops them from learning, you know. I mean, we say that some of them get discouraged, but some of them also get discouraged because they are like, you know, how many workshops I took, you know, how many DVDs I bought and I'm still not there. Well, I mean, maybe all it takes is one more, right? Don't give up, you know. I mean, they don't realize that the investment that they've made is no different than the investment we've made. If we gave up, we would not be here. Right, you know? right. You can't look at it in terms of, of how much you spent. You have to look at it in how much more you have to learn. Right. right. If you spent that much, whatever that amount is, and you still don't know what you need to learn, that's because you have not studied that part. Right. right? And you I know? think you and I just naturally have that in us because... As a child, I never gave up on anything. No, you we know? don't. We don't give I up. I was no. always right. the worst player on a team or whatever. But you know, I would practice, 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 practice. I would just never, never give up. Right. And I know that when it comes to business and other things in your life, that you refuse to give up as well. And well, it's not that I refuse to give up. I'll, I'll give up if proven absolutely wrong with no chance of success whatsoever. But if it's just because the competition is a little bit too stiff or if it's just because I have to learn another thing and, you know, it's a pain in the neck, I'm going to learn it. Right. I'm going to outdo the competition. I see the reward. You know, focus right. your eyes on the donut, not the hole, right? Yeah. You know, that's what I do. You know, I tell you that sometimes as a joke. You know, look at the donut, you know. Right. <laughs> I look at the prize. Right. Yeah. Well, for me, it was always practicing. Or um, when it came to studying, it's I had to study harder or I had to study longer. So mm-hmm. I would have to put in more hours than my brothers and mm-hmm. my sisters because it came easier for them. Yeah, but they got nowhere and you did. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I mean, not to put them down, which I we know. do I anyway, know. but, you but know, I a fact would, is a fact. But I would tell, uh, in all the years that I taught art, I would probably say that three of them had talent. Talent and all of the children that I taught art, there were three of them that had it. But I tell you what, they were not willing to work as hard as the other students that I could just right. name, yeah. you know, that were willing to work their butts off. And you know what? They made it, and mm. the other ones didn't. So, three out of how many, roughly? Well, when I first started teaching, I had up to 40 in a class. And six cla- five, five or six classes. But it's three across the whole time that you taught. Yeah, seven and a half, so eight years. So it's three times 40 times how many classes a year? Uh, 14 sometimes. 14 classes? Well, because you have seven each semester or six each semester. Seven classes each semester? Yeah. You had seven groups of students uh, every semester? I have five, five. Five, so it would be f- ten. It would be ten because five and five. 
Do you have 10, do you have 400 students per semester? Each class is 40 students, correct? Right. How many classes did you have? A, a year? No, for a semester. Okay. And then you switch and you so, get the other, so other half. 10 times 40 is 400. Mm -hmm. So you had 400 students a year? Yeah, or less. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, three, I'm asking three. you. Well, when I first started teaching, I had classes that had 40 students. In so it. how many students a year did you have? Well, in the beginning, that many. Four. And then after that? And then after that, it probably dropped down to maybe 350. Okay, so let's say 300 students a year times seven years. That's 2,100 students, mm -hmm. of which three were talented. Well, three I'm, that I can think of off the no, top of that, my that's head. Three. I'm not ch challenging you. I'm, I'm, I just want numbers because people are going to listen to this and say three out of how many. And what I'm getting to is three out of 2,000, basically. Yeah. So that's less than 10%. You know, 10% would be 200. That's less than 1% because it'd be 20. Yeah. That's less than half a percent, which would be 10. So we're looking at 0.3%, right? Mm -hmm. So 0.3% are, are, are talented, uh, you know, truly, purely, simply talented. The rest are not. And the 3%, the 0.03% that are talented don't want to work at it. No. Which means that most successful artists, if not all, are, are artists that are not very talented. Right. <laughs> because if, if talent is not enough to make it in the world of art as a successful artist. And work is required, and talented artists don't want to work, then only artists that are not talented make it. That's a very interesting wow. point. I'm not saying it's wrong. What I'm saying is talent is not enough, which totally proves, you know, Dale Carnegie who said that talent is not enough to succeed. You know, Dale Carnegie is the person that taught Napoleon Hill what he needed to know to write the book, you know, Think and Grow Rich. Right. And Napoleon Hill very often quotes Dale Carnegie. And what he says is, you know, the rules of success, you know, which we all know, you know, and we, we use and they're accurate. And one of the rules of success is that talent is not enough. So this was a very interesting conversation about the principles of art and about how learning these principles are going to make you successful in art or not learning them is going to make you sort of stagnate, you know, in the world of art. Yes. And it was also a conversation about the relationship between photography and the other art, you know, whether it's music or we talked about uh, architecture, you know, and any other art, painting and sculpture and drawing and school, dancing and so on. There is principles in all of them. Yes. And uh, that's what we wanted to cover in Vitposcast. And so we've come to the end of it. And uh, do you want to add something? Oh, no, I think, I think we've covered I think it. we've covered the subject. I think one of the things that I found very enjoyable is the fact that you talked about your experience teaching art and how these experiences teaching art duplicate our experiences with workshops, even though the teaching that you did was about 7th uh, seven, seven grade? 7th and 8th grade. 7th and 8th grade. And here we are teaching adults. Many of them are either close to retirement or retired. Most of my students would enter at the age of 12, but some of them didn't leave until they were almost 16. Yeah, very interesting. So, yeah, it yeah. was a, you know, yeah. a wide range. It shows that the stereotype of art or the misconception of art is really widespread, but it starts very young. Obviously, students have it at the age of, uh, you know, what was it, 12 or 13? 12, yeah. And then adults have it at the age of 60. Yes, <laughs> yes. It seems to be pernicious and... Uh, omnipresent, people never get rid of it. You know, we can't say that somebody is 16 and they'll grow up and learn to work their way out of it. They just carry it on right. until they meet us. And then they're like, what? I believe that all my life and you're telling me it's wrong. And I'm like, well, I'm sorry, you know, but uh, that's the way it is. Right. right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> can't change it.
And I, you know, I told them at a very young age when they first came into my class that if they ever needed help in high school or if they needed help in applying for art school, you know, when they were seniors, that they could always come over. And I had a couple that took me up on it. Right. And they brought all of their drawings and everything. Mm -hmm. And they said, Brio, I'm applying for art school and I, re I really need your feedback. Right. I need to know what you think. Yeah. And they had their high school art teachers over there. Right, you but know? we were not as good but, as you. Um, they did not know as much, maybe. Well, I think they really valued my teaching, and I taught them a lot. Mm -hmm. And I think they never forgot that. Right. And I also think that I always told them that if this was something that they wanted to do, that they could do that. Right. And to please do it, because they didn't have to pay for college. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. college would be paid for, and... Just do it. Do what you mm. love. I used right. to always tell them, do what you love. Do what you love. Right. Which is basically you know. the, the number one motto of art, you know. And I think that's what our students do, whether they're retirement age or, you know, 16 or 12. But they just don't know how to do what they love. They don't know how to do it well. Right. It's not just a matter of deciding to do what you love and going out and doing it. You have to learn, and you have to learn the principles, which is what we went over. Right. So this is uh, come to the end of it postcast. And uh, what uh, you need to do is decide whether you want to study with us because the last thing we want is that you go from being 12 to being 60 or whatever age you might be and that you hold the same concepts, you know, and that you're sort of holding your work back because of this lack of understanding, this lack of knowledge of what the principles about are. Right, but also studying with a teacher that you respect well, sure, opinion. Yeah. You know, I think if opinion. people don't respect us, they are not going to give us money to be studying with us. You know? Right. Nobody pays money to somebody that they have no respect for. But it's one thing to respect somebody, and it's another one to distrust their opinion. You know, right. Because there is these concepts about the fact that art has no principles, that art is whatever you want to do, that there is no rules, and so on. Those are deeply ingrained beliefs that have little to do with whether people respect me or not. And unless somebody is ready to be challenged about those beliefs, they are not going to continue. You know, they have to be able to change that belief and say, well, at first I thought I had to learn nothing. It was just a matter of getting my work reviewed and be told that it was great and move on my way. And to go from there to be ready to make changes and, and to spend time studying and to practice and so on, that's different. You know? mm -hmm. But whatever the case might be, we don't want you to hold on to this uh, wrong belief that you don't need to practice. You know, we don't want to be that musician that stopped playing because we did not want to practice. Right. <laughs> you know, yes. we want you to be successful, and we want you to move on from uh, believing that art is whatever to understanding and learning that art is doing some specific things, just like any profession. And our role is to teach you what these specific things are. So this is the end of it podcast and we want to thank you for listening and we hope that you'll come back for our next podcast. Thank you.